0: Hello. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg, and um, it's Friday, the 20th of February, 2020. I'm about to tell you a story about a motorcycle ride I took last week, but before I do that, I have to pay Andy Ma, my audio producer, and Rachel Barrett, my show producer. So you may hear a commercial, or you may not hear a commercial. If you do, thank you. If you don't, here's the theme music. And welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a part of the show. What is this show? It is simply a podcast that hopes to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. Um, Osher, I'm a a TV guy and a book writing guy and a podcasting guy and a two-wheeled vehicle pedaling and riding guy uh, from Sydney, Australia. And um, I uh, have been doing this podcast every Monday and Friday since 2013. a long time. Long time, long time, long time. And it's great. I wouldn't have it any other way. I absolutely adore doing the show and I love the feedback from the show and I love meeting people that listen to the show and I love hearing from you all the time. So um, thank you so, so much for being here. This show is simply a podcast. I hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's really it because that's all we're really here to do, right? That's it. Just that's what being human is. The solving problems. It's trying to figure out stuff. That's happiness. When you solve a problem and you figure something out, that's happiness. When you help another person while you solve a problem and figure something out, that's happiness. Happiness isn't something that shows up when you buy something. That's the big fallacy, I think, that we're told. But um, yeah, that, that's that's really it. Thanks heaps to the people that did uh, shoot me an email and um, let me know where they're listening to the show. I adore seeing where you listen to the show. This is a great one that came in from Holly and Jackson, uh, who sent it a glorious picture. Um, hope everything is well listening, walking around the bottom of our property in Pottsville. Um, I work at the Byron Baby Shop, and yeah, it's a delicious rolling hill with a glorious, glorious, glorious bit of uh, horizon there. That's delicious. I'm, gra- I'm glad that you're listening as you're wandering through the uh, through the um, woods there. A cracking one came in from Baz. How's it going? Check out how good you look in Lisbon. And as uh, Baz has sent a picture of his mate who is reading a copy of my book from what it looks like enjoying a lovely cold drink on a blue sky day in Lisbon in uh, Portugal, which is glorious. I was catching up with my mate, haven't seen him in 18 months. A lovely girl had left your book in the hostel we were staying at. She had written, this book got me through a hard time, hope it helps. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's great. Well, I'd love to know if you found me in a hostel. That'd be killer. Good on you, being in Lisbon. Obrigado. I've got another email here from uh, Lauren. Great to listen with Fleur. Oh, it was Monday's podcast. If you haven't listened, it was Fleur Brown. She's a, a cult survivor. Extraordinary story she has to tell. I found it so interesting how a person can be controlled, manipulated, and persuaded by guilt and have a guise to protection and love. It is mind-blowing. Thanks very much, Lauren from Melbourne, who uh, is enjoying her fortnightly RDO and has... Enjoying some delicious smashed avocado there. Thank you so much, Lauren. And yeah, thanks to everyone that wrote about the Fleur Brown episode. If you've not heard it and you've been fascinated ever by how someone could get into and and stay in and be a part of a cult or any kind of you know bad relationship or a relationship where someone that you know or love is being, I guess, manipulated into doing things that is out of character. It's pretty fascinating. Listen, I think you'll dig it. Thanks also as well to everyone that left a uh, review on iTunes. Uh, Jerry wrote, thanks for your contribution to the world. Your podcast is a positive influence, influence on my life. That statement may sound small, but it's absolutely not. Oh, thanks, Jerry. And Nat wrote, thanks for making Mondays and Fridays so rewarding and comforting. Um, you guests so are compelling and the candid way you converse with them makes it an absolute privilege to be part of your audience. Oh, you're the best. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. It really helps when you rate and review the show in iTunes, and it also really helps when you recommend this show to somebody else. That's this is the, the best way you can help me. I really, really, really appreciate it. So to check in, to check in with you, I did want to share with you what happened last last Sunday on the twenty third of February. I, I went on something called the Fire Aid Ride. It was a it was a motorbike ride with I think we estimated it was about six hundred riders that rode from Windsor in the north west of Sydney up a, um, a famous motorcycling road called uh, Putty Road to a a cafe that is kind of like a halfway stop for many motorcyclists. And because the road closures amongst the bushfires, you know, hadn't seen a lot of trade during the peak months of its trading year. And even though that happened, you know, the people that run the cafe were still taking food down to the front lines of the fire lines and helping feeding the RFS guys and extraordinary community support there. So, yeah, in, in one day they got 600-odd meals through to hopefully fill the coffers a bit and, and help them get through. So I got asked to go on this ride, which was, which was great, but I am, you know, I'm only on my P-plates on my motorcycle. So uh, And I ride a, a no-gear electric Vespa, really, but electric scooter. So it just has the, the throttle, the rolling thing on the right hand. So I don't – though I did learn how to ride a manual bike. I haven't ridden one in about nine months. So I had to – I borrowed a bike. The guys that run the uh, Distinguished Gentleman's Ride hooked me up with a with a bike and um, I'd never been on a big group ride before. It was pretty cool. and So I'm riding this bike, which is quite powerful compared to my electric scooter and uh, all the gears were interesting getting used to. And My left hand was sore from... You know when you haven't driven a manual in a while and your left foot kind of hurts because you're like, oh, what's this clutch business. So my left hand was a bit sore, so I'm like changing gears all the time. So we, we met everybody down in Marrickville and we get there at seven or so in the morning and... Um, Who do I find there but Danny Clayton, Barry Dubois, Brendan Jones, three fantastic humans beings. They all have happened to have been on this podcast at some point or not. But it was really great to see such smiling faces and and great faces there. And look, I'm not going to lie. I did find it a bit of a challenge to not only ride such a powerful bike compared to how I normally ride but also to ride keeping up with other riders who are much more experienced than I But I have always lived my life like choose something to do that's more challenging than your current level of skill and just put yourself on some sort of, uh, what's the word, not a deadline, (laughs) put yourself on some sort of commitment to having to rise to that level and then boom, you're there. And it was great. But it is tricky for me. I have a very active imagination, a very visual imagination. It did get me into a bit of trouble when I started to get sick because I was experiencing very, very lucid visuals that felt real at points when I was getting through the little bits of paranoid delusion and psychosis and stuff. But riding a motorcycle, I've never ridden that fast. You know, I've never taken a corner at 96 kilometers an hour. And as we're going around the corner, I mean, I've ridden bicycles for a long time and done descents out of the hills and the mountains up in California and, you know, hit 70, 80 k's an hour and, you know, seeing guardrails and trees coming up at me and going, okay, if I come into contact with that, it's all over. So that that stuff was kind of flashing in front of my eyes a bit. But um, there's only like two places that kind of really came a bit unstuck and um, I figured it out later. Both had to do with target fixation. If you've ever taught a kid how to ride a bike, the first thing you tell them is, look, you'll go where you look. I remember teaching her when I was, lived in Venice, I, a daughter of a friend of mine, I taught her how to ride a bicycle. And I, and I said to her, Ellie, look, if you look at the trash cans, you'll run into the trash cans. If you look at the telephone pole, you'll run into the telephone pole. If you look between the two, you'll be clear. And sure enough, she kept looking at the trash cans, kept running into the trash cans every time, every time. I said, look at the gap, look at the gap. And she looked for the gap. And sure enough, she went through and she was clear. But So twice, I I saw the double line coming up and I kind of was staring at it and before I know what I'm heading right for it. So that happened twice. But like I said, I've never taken a corner at 96 Ks an hour. And as you, oh, a corner built for a 96 K an hour corner, don't worry, it wasn't like a 40 kilometer at our corner. So you lean the bike over to get around the corner like that. And the gyroscopic effect of the engine uh, has a lot of momentum and a lot of inertia. And so when the bike's over, the same force that keeps it upright the gyroscopic effect of the wheels and everything keeps it at an angle and the bike just didn't want to come up. I'm like, the fuck, what do I do? This bike's not standing back up again. So I got a bit, got a bit weirded out. I made that noise twice and it was a bit tough. But um, if you ever want to be mindful, if you ever want to be present, get on a motorbike because you can't think about anything else. You just don't have time to think about anything else because the corners come at you fast and there's lots to think about and you don't want to lose concentration and I think that's a real thing that I enjoy a lot certainly about cycling but definitely about riding riding a motorbike so even with all that going on we uh we were heading north and we met up with all the other riders and there was about 600 of us and up all up and so it was a challenge because there's I don't know We started about midway through. So there's about 300 people in front, 300 people behind us. And so I I couldn't really slow down because I look in my rear vision mirror and as far as I can see, there's motorbikes behind me. So I couldn't really slow down. I could take the corners as sensibly as I could, but I couldn't go slow because I would have just caused an accident. But even with all that, you know, kind of stress and the the adrenaline running and the pressure of the bikes coming up behind me, we were heading north uh, through a town called Colo, C O L O, and as we came over this ridge, it was the first time that we saw um, where the fires had burned too. And we started descending down into this valley, going through these extraordinary turns in the road, and just the the devastation, the absolute devastation of the forest. Just no leaves on any trees, very few branches, just trunks for as far as you could see in each direction. And even though I'm doing 90, 100 kilometers an hour and quite technical riding, I just started crying. And it was the same feeling, if you've ever had the misfortune to have seen an animal, like a a domestic pet, like a cat or a dog or, or a wild animal get hit by a car and then crawl to the side of the road, you get this feeling in your body that when you see another creature suffering, you can't really control it. We have this natural empathy within us that feels us, feeling inside us. And I was just unprepared for that as I came over this ridge and and saw just this charred, devastated landscape that my body would just react to the the pain and the suffering and the, the death and the destruction and the loss and the grief all at once. And I had to shake it off pretty quick because, you know, I would have needed a pullover and otherwise. And it was intense. But I was, I was just really overwhelmed. I was really overwhelmed with emotion. And I was talking to someone later. She was writing, it was actually Danny Clayton's um, partner, Pearl. Uh, we talked about this when we got there. And she said, When I came over that ridge, I started crying. I said, Ex- Exactly the same thing happened to me. You know, I was just thinking about get into this gear, make sure I'm not to going too fast, come around this corner, what's the line, where's the apex of the corner, where am I going to accelerate, make sure I roll the throttle on and off, oh, my God, I'm crying. Just suddenly it just hit me and she said the same thing happened to her, you know, just out of nowhere. She just had tears in her eyes going horizontally because we were going fast, right? But we rode 80 to 100 kilometers an hour through the forest for about an hour, and I saw nothing but devastation the whole way. About 90 straight kilometers, as far as I could see, of just burned, charred, destroyed forest. There was a you know tiny bit of regrowth, the weird regrowth that trees do after a fire where the leaves come directly out of the trunk. But I think tellingly, the really harrowing, chilling thing was I didn't see one bird not one bird. I didn't see one animal. Nothing. Not even roadkill. Not even, you know, an, an animal that had maybe wandered out on the road the night before and got taken out by a car. Nothing. Absolutely nothing left. And when when we did, you know, when we got to Putty to the cafe, the Grey Gums Cafe there, I, you know, I just hugged Danny because my heart I was racing a bit because I was a bit, you know, kind of. Overwhelmed by the how intense the riding was, but I was also just like, "Holy shit!" You know what is what's happening here. Some of the RFS guys who had protected the area were there because we were riding up there to raise money for the local RFS. That's the Rural Fire Service in New South Wales. The people that we have charged with um, looking after these areas—they're volunteers. And um, his, bloke, his name was Ken. Ken was amazing. I said, Ken, are you doing okay? And Ken said, well, the first eight weeks were the worst. For eight weeks, every single day, they fought unimaginable blazes, fires bigger than they'd ever encountered before. Every single day they did that. It's never happened before in history. Ken and his crew are absolute heroes, and I'm kind of ashamed to say that. You know, we're asking these people to put these fires out. Come on, put these fires out! But the particular RFS crew we we're raising money for—they, their shed doesn't even have a kitchen. All right, <laughs> doesn't even have a kitchen. I mean, if you fall and break your hip, we don't have a volunteer ambulance to come and help you. We have professional paramedics, well-supplied, well-resourced. When there's a crime being committed in your neighbourhood, we don't rely on a volunteer security force. No, we have professional police who are well-trained, well-equipped, well well-resourced. So why are people who live in these parts of the country expected to rely on volunteers to defend their homes? I'm not in any way diminishing the incredible, incredible efforts and risk and sacrifice of the volunteer firefighters, not at all. But it's it's not okay that they do the work. Or we expect them to do this work unsupported. And this this is climate change really kicking in, all right? These parts of the country absolutely need professional fire brigades going forward. There is no question. Yeah, it's expensive. But this is the cost of climate adaptation. This is the cost. Seawalls aren't cheap, but we're going to need to build some. After a bit of a snack, we rode back the same way, but I had it far more figured out on the corners that time. And Danny Clayton, bless his heart. I followed Danny the whole way up and back. Danny is an extraordinary man. If you've ever not listened to the podcast I did with Danny, he's just the best. He's such a good man. Just really, truly is a man that just believes in the kindness of strangers. And just... Opens his heart to the world, and the world just gives him joy back. He's an extraordinary man. And as we were coming over ridges and corners, and kind of yeah, we're doing some fun cornering, I won't lie. He, I could see him just clock into his rearview mirror just to make sure that I got over the ridge over the crest okay and then hit throttle up and go go away again and he just kept an eye on me the whole way home and I'm really grateful because I would have been quite afraid to go out all that way on myself by myself because I've never done a ride that long before 45 I want to make sure they get back to him, you know middle life crisis motorcycle guy I want to make sure I get to our, get back to our, our kids you know and when I got home I, I hugged Audrey like I haven't hugged her in a while I was just pretty grateful you know I was grateful for everything that we have and um I'm not going to lie, I was grateful to be alive because there, <laughs> there was a few times that day that I could have not gone great. But I've had bicycle rides like that. I've had ski runs like that. Shit, I've had nights out like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I talked to her afterwards late at night after everyone went to bed. She and you know, I talked about what I'd seen that day. and um, Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. You, if you live in a city in Australia, in a metropolitan area, and in particular on the East Coast or Sydney or Melbourne, Brisbane, take a drive out to these communities, go out there with an empty esky. come back with a full one, take lunch out there, go and eat your lunch out there, go and go to the local pub, have a count of me, will support the people that live there because that's what we can do. That's what we can do, all right? You know, we can't... We can't enact climate change policy, but we can show these people they're not alone, all right?
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: I posted a photo up about it online and um and we've talked about this on, on the show before. A few people engaged, going like, oh, show me evidence that these fires were caused by climate change. And then someone showed them evidence. Okay, we'll just agree to disagree. Listen. I'm gonna tell you right now, don't waste your time. <laughs> An online comment section is not a place that you'll change someone's mind about climate change, all right? It's just not going to happen there. It will only happen face-to-face with somebody and it'll only happen over time, 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 like water eroding rock. That is how long it will take. Don't assume, because it's just not worth your time to engage. Don't assume that someone else online looks at the world the same way you do. Don't assume that they consider evidence Don't assume that they're reasonable or look at the world with a reasoned view or are prepared to have their mind changed. If you feel the need, you have to disagree. Do it once, then leave it. You will never win. No one's ever in a comment section ever going to say, you got me, I changed my mind, I believe in climate change now. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So do something else with your energy. Do something else with your time. Be with your kids. Go and walk a dog. Borrow a dog if you don't have a dog. Go do some push-ups, write something beautiful, sing a song, dance, call your parents, cook a great meal for you and your family, do something else, because your energy is not worth it. Just don't engage. But do anything but try and win an argument with a consistently disagreeable stranger on the internet, because that will never, ever, ever happen, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The people in the room with you are always more important and will always be more important. I have to remember I'm telling you this because I need to remember it myself that's why I I still post to Instagram via an app on my laptop and I occasionally check in on my laptop once a day or so but that's why I took it off my phone because I'd just be getting caught up in these you know arguments with someone I don't know that means absolutely nothing to me when my wife and kids are here right here you know I'm like no I must be right means nothing don't do it you'll do more good by being a good human being to the people around you than trying to change a stranger's mind on the internet. i promise you that. Crikey. I've been chatting for a while. It's just Friday check-in episode. Just having a chat. Uh-huh. Uh, Monday's shows a cracking one because if you're anywhere near Sydney at the moment, you'll know that it's Mardi Gras weekend. And, um, my guest on Monday is the extraordinary Richard Reed. And we dig pretty deep into sexuality, into what it was like living through the AIDS crisis when the US government was almost willfully doing nothing while thousands and thousands and thousands of, of men died. It's a f- amazing story to tell you know Richard he was on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here he's a cracker of a human being and I can't wait for you to hear it because it's really really good if you are going out this weekend have a safe one be good be careful have fun and I'll talk to you Monday um, it's Thursday night so there's no survivors I don't really know what I'm going to do with myself Thanks heaps for listening. Thanks Andy for making this show. Thanks Rachel Barrett for being the best. And thanks for the team at the Distinguished Gentleman's Ride for um, being so supportive of me. And Danny Clayton for making sure I got home safe. Thank you Danny. Go listen to Danny's episode know why I'm so grateful for Danny. All right. Until we talk on Monday, um, have a good weekend, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.